think of a magical thought. Boobs. Or strippers. And then you can fly. Yeah, that's all you need. A magical thought. Like otter pops. What? Or ring pops. No. Any kind of pop, really. Oh. Hi, everyone. I'm Damien. And I'm Jeremy. And together, we are DJ Disney. Nice. <laughs> we are taking you on an epic journey through Walt Disney Studios' animated classic feature films. And what a journey it has been, truly. Today, I feel that I could fly mm -hmm. because I am joined by the fabulous, the ferociously charming... Jeremy Lipson. Hi. <laughs> Jeremy, there's no one I would rather fly to Neverland with. Aww. Because I feel that you could truly appreciate all the wonders there. How are you feeling? Are you ready to fly away? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of feeling ready to fly. Um, I feel like you need some amount of alcohol to fly. Yeah, have you had enough pixie dust? Wink, <laughs> wink. Uh, oh, appreciate the winks, Damien. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I feel like I've had enough. I feel like I've I've said no to the alcohol for the last few recordings. And tonight, we're going back to our roots We're a going bit. back to our roots, yeah. people. We have a friggin' wine glass in the podcast logo. We've got to be true Might to ourselves. Well. Yeah. well, you may be wondering to yourself, what is this podcast? I'm going to tell you, but first, Jeremy... Cue the epic music. No, Damien, I'm not doing this. No, wait, you said you... No, I'm not. I said I'm not going to no, do on, that. come on. You said it's you would do stupid. it. It's stupid. No, just... Come no, on, just, it's just, embarrassing. Just do it. Oh, my God. <sighs> Fine. Jesus Christ. This is a podcast where a couple of former high school drama nerds undertake the truly epic task of rewatching all of Disney's classic animated feature films in chronological order, starting from the beginning. Though it may take us the rest of our lives, since it's really hard for two adults with regular jobs to schedule time to get together to record a podcast, we shall march forward undaunted. Oh, you're done? Yeah, yeah, that was Okay, me. cool. Good job. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Anyway, before we get into things, we must have a brief... Content warning! Let me just spell it out for you, okay? Please, yeah. If you're with your kids, and you're thinking you're gonna play them a fun little podcast about Disney, think again, <laughs> bucko! Yeah. This ain't no friendly podcast about Disney. It's really not, which is a shame. We should think about doing that, actually. This is Disney. Um, <laughs> you think, would we get more listeners that way, you think? I don't know. No, Jeremy. I only know one way to podcast. What is that? And that's uncensored. Yeah, that's X true. X-rated. Mm. Anyway, last time we talked about Alice in Wonderland. <gasps> and we learned that it was truly all a dream all along. So nothing matters and nothing was learned. Mm. Mm -hmm. We're still not totally sure what shroomies are, but we know they're out there. Any lingering thoughts on Alice, Jeremy? I have some thoughts in my life, and many of them do linger. Um, but I... <laughs> but it's true. But I have to say, Alice was such a fun watch. And we are talking about Peter Pan today, guys. Holy shit. We've made it. 
This movie, I have to just tell you, Jeremy. Please enlighten me. This movie is so up my alley. This is like... They're going to say something else. Everything that I love and want in a movie. This movie was made for me. And the more that I think about it, the more I really do feel that it's kind of a seminal movie for Disney. Because of the racism? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, because of that. Ooh, interesting segue, Daniel. No, no. Because of all the things that we will be discussing in our wonderful pod uh, that this movie does so beautifully well. Yeah. But first, let's uh, do a little table setting. Check in with our buddies at uh, Walt Disney Studios. Uh, They got themselves back on the map with Cinderella Mm -hmm. in 1950. Then they came out with Alice in Wonderland. Uh, Tried to uh, give that one to the Brits. Say, hey, Brits, we appreciate you. Shit, that's Australian. How did I drop into Australia? That was very Australian. I know. (laughs) You're really good at the British accent, too. But that that was aggressively Australian. Clearly. I I apologize, people. I don't know where that came from. Anyway, the Brits didn't like Alice. It was a flop. Uh, They tried again with the Brits, though. They tried again. They were like, we're not deterred. By completely failing and adapting a beautiful uh, novel written by Lewis Carroll. So let's go ahead and adapt a play. Peter Pan is based on a play written by J.M. Barry in 1904. Uh, There's not too many differences between the play and the Disney adaptation. Predictably, Peter is a little bit more of a villain and a trickster in the play. Which you can really tell from the very opening shots we see of him in Disney's film. But yeah, he was kind of more of a shit heel. He's an interesting character. He is, uh, he's, he's not the greatest person, <laughs> I have to say. Hot take. Peter Pan, not the greatest guy. But you know what? While we're on this, I will say this was really the first Walt Disney Animation Studios film that really featured a male protagonist that boys could kind of look up to in a way. You already had that with the girls, but I mean, Dumbo doesn't really count. Bambi, I mean, they're wow. not... just trashing all the little boys who love Dumbo. Who saw no, but who, an would... elephant. <laughs> <laughs> but would really look Persecuted up... and bullied. No. And then triumphant in the end. But no one's like, oh, I want to be Dumbo. Like, no one says that. And no one says that about Pinocchio. No one says that about Bambi. You know, it's Peter Pan, I've heard. The kids want to be... Peter Pan, it really was the first one, I think. I mean, Bambi becomes Prince of the Forest. Yeah, but no one's like, I want to be a deer. And he gets to get down with Feline. Oh my god. Anyway, they wanted to do this film originally as their second film, but Paramount held the rights, which it's starting to feel like Paramount is always holding the rights for these films that Disney wants to make, and they're caught in this constant back and forth. I've, I've called back to this already, but you remember those two books that we saw on the shelves mm-hmm. in Peter Pan, Alice and... P- sorry, in Pinocchio. I think you mean Pinocchio. There were two books on the shelf in Which the opening shot. Which was only shot. the second Disney film. Only the second Disney film. Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan were on the shelf because those were the two films that Walt had in his pocket that he really wanted to make. They weren't in his pocket. They were on the bookshelf, I think. It did very well at the box office, and the critical reception was good. People liked it. Yay! <laughs> so not much to report on there. No. Nope. Some fun facts about this film. It well, was, let's hear them. Well, it was submitted to the Cannes Film Festival, which I don't know if that's really that interesting of a fact, but for some reason when I saw that, I was like, I never really thought of like Disney films going with you know, prestigious film festivals. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of that, actually, a Disney film. Like, usually you hear about like more like smaller, more independent things, or just more like serious films, but... 
Apparently, Walt himself played Pan in a play in middle school. Hmm. And I also saw in a source that apparently the first play he ever went to see as a little boy was a touring production of Peter Pan. Ooh. A fun fact that I actually learned was that, did you know the original name for Peter Pan? Peter's original name was Frying. I'm sorry, wait, what? No, the name, <laughs> instead of Peter, it was Frying. Fry. Jesus he God. just got it, everybody. Frying Pan, that was the original character. I was trying to do a whole <laughs> overreaction bit, and I instead I walked right into Jeremy's pun. You didn't realize I was just going to do a stupid joke. I got hit over the head like a frying pan. Oh, <laughs> not funny. The melody for Second Star to the Right, a great song, was originally uh, supposed to be in Alice in Wonderland. It was composed. The lyrics were changed. I actually learned this through Disney+. Plus. There was a bonus feature on the Alice in Wonderland film. If you if you haven't followed along, if you don't know I do this, I generally like to watch all of the Disney Plus bonus features. Okay, whatever, viewing. <gasps> Rude, you had me do theme music. Okay, anyway. So they had a whole feature on um, Catherine Beaumont, I think. Yeah, yep. who played Alice, as well as Wendy, in this film. Mm. Um, but she talked about how she learned this song that later became Second Star to the Right, but was originally in Alice in Wonderland, the same melody, just with different lyrics, and they had it animated and everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, very interesting. This I thought was a pretty cool fact, because apparently the concept of fairy dust was added to the story by Barry, uh, the playwright, as necessary because so many little kids went and saw this film, and then immediate sorry, this play, originally, mm. and then immediately went home and attempted to fly. <laughs> did you do that? I definitely did that. Did you yeah. do that as a kid? I feel like we all did. No, I didn't do that. But I feel like that is very much a thing that never ends. Like, you know, kids try to eat Tide Pods and that becomes like a trend. It's like, this just doesn't end, this sort of thing. It's being stupid. Yeah. Well, I used to have a thing where I would have a really vivid dream and then I would wake up and I would be so convinced that was it, whatever was in the dream would be real. Like one time I remember I dreamed that I had this Charizard action figure that I really wanted. Okay. And I I was like, I woke up and I was like, it was so real. I know it's true. And then I peeked below my bunk bed to look at my toy chest and no, it wasn't there. I had that about, I met Mary J. Blige and then I woke up and I was so sad because I hadn't met her. This was like two years ago. Yeah. No, for real. (laughs) It really was. I was really sad because I loved her. But I think I had that same thing happen with thinking I could fly. And I probably, I, th- I think I jumped off a sofa or um, two. Oh, okay. I thought going to say the roof. Anyway, I think it's funny that so many kids were trying this that they were like, yeah, we need to add in this fairy dust so that the kids are like, well, I guess I don't have fairy dust, so I can't fly after yeah. all. I think it's a good addition, though. <sighs> in the stage play, Tinkerbell was merely a dot of light controlled by a mirror. More like Twinkerbell. Sorry. Barry, the playwright, gave the rights to the play to a children's hospital, which received royalties for the production, which is pretty cool. That was actually stated in the opening credits of the film, too. That's right. Disney was like, we give thanks to, uh, I forget the name of the hospital, but some children's hospital. (laughs) Some important children's hospital that we are for. As many people will probably know, Peter Pan is traditionally played by a woman in the play. And I think that was mostly because at the time that this came out in 1904, uh, that was sort of just a thing in theater that if you had a young boy, they were played by a woman. 
Right, and the musical actually came out a year later. So the film came out in 1953, and the musical came out in 1954, mm. with which really acted as a vehicle for Broadway legend Mary Martin. Oh. Yeah, and I think I think some theater nerds will at least know the song, I Won't Grow Up, I Won't Grow Damien didn't, but I don't want to be a chicken, I don't want to be oh, a chicken. So oh, you, know, you do know the song. Wait, that's the song? Not chicken. Like, what lyric is that? <laughs> is that your own weird lyric? No, I think that was the that's song. That's not the song. Oh, okay. It's Never I won't grow. I don't want to go to school and not be a chicken. No, all right. Anyway, no, I sang that in college in my So This Is Opera class. Shout out to, to those peeps. Hey. So This Is Opera? No, it was so funny. That, that was the name of the class. <laughs> so This Is Opera? Question mark? That's... And I love making fun of it. Just that's... the name. So, so wait, so... So this is opera? <laughs> okay, I just checked it. Oh, okay. Jeremy, do you have any amazing Disneyland facts for us? <gasps> I do. Okay, so anyone who loves Disneyland knows of the ride Peter Pan's Flight, which is in Fantasyland. It was an original Disneyland ride when the park opened in 1955 on its disastrous first day. But, yeah, you know that the first day of Disneyland was like a disaster, right? Really? It was yeah. like one of those everything that could go wrong went wrong stories? Pretty much. It was terrible weather. Uh, they oversold tickets and it was just like miserable. It was not good. So Peter Pan's flight was one of the original rides and it's proven time and time again to just be a fan favorite. It's Mm. one of the dark rides that they have in Fantasyland and it's unique because it has a suspended track. So the vehicle that you're in feels like you're flying because it's jutting from the ceiling and it has that beautiful scene of London at night. Yeah, it's really... Love London at night. But it uses forced perspective in the scenery. (gasps) Forced perspective, call back to our first pod, Snow White. Yeah, so it makes you feel like you're flying higher than you are. There's a fun fact because in the Mermaid Lagoon scene, if you have eagle eyes, you can spot a tiny little thing of Ariel. Booby. No, not (laughs) boobies. I was so sure you were going to say boobies. Damien's being horny again. No, Ariel is actually from the little mermaid is oh, featured really? that's um, cheeky at a certain angle just because a cast member like just said hey why those not? movies weren't out at the same time well cheeky. no it was later added <laughs> obviously there's some hidden mickeys there's some blocks in the opening scene that spell out peter pan and disney mm. um also peter pan is an essential plot point of the show on the rivers of america phantasmic Hopefully people know what Phantasmic is. It's that amazing show where Mickey battles the forces of evil, and there's a whole pirate ship which involves Peter Pan and Captain Hook. I think now it's been updated to be Pirates of the Caribbean, but for a long time it was Peter Pan. Um, there's also a whole separate, or there was a whole separate area in Fantasyland called Pixie Hollow, which was Tinkerbell and all her fairy friends. I think there was like a TV series around the time, oh, yeah. and it was like a character meet and greet. But I had a bit of a a Peter Pan moment at Disneyland when I went with my friend Emily in 2018. I am not at all attracted to the character of Peter Pan. Obviously, it's like a young kid, like never ever. But in real life, oh, Peter Pan was flirty with me and I was all for it. He was like, you got to get rid of this and like touched my beard so he didn't want me to grow up, and he and we saw him like several times throughout the day. He was like, "Hey, my friend!" And I was like, "Hi, Peter." He was like around my. I was like, you know, it's it's a Twinkerbell. <laughs> yeah, there were some nice little green tights on that thing. On that thing. On that wow. thing. No, He's he was not super an cute. Object, Jeremy. I Jesus. don't care. I will treat that character as an object right now because he was cute, right, Emily? You were there. You remember that? <laughs> well, I have. 
a Disneyland fact as well, not to step on your territory <gasps> there. But I found one that was kind of fun, which was that there was a girl who was denied entry to Disneyland because she was wearing a Tinkerbell costume that was too good, apparently. Yeah, I remember seeing that. And they were like, uh, it's going to confuse the kids, sorry. Now, what's your opinion on that? Do you uh, think that should have been done? I think that was a gross miscarriage of justice! Really? No. Because I actually completely agree with Disney. No, I I, I, I feel bad for the, the woman, but I mean, you shouldn't dress up as a... I mean, she had like wings and everything, and it's like, I get it, but kids were coming up to her, and she doesn't represent Disney, so it's kind of a liability, and they gave her clothes to change into, so it's not like they kicked her out of the park. <laughs> The pictures, though, she was, like, literally sobbing. She was, she like, was really, really like oh, my God. She was, like, I worked for months on these costumes. Like, I get it, but just, like, wear them at a costume party. <laughs> they gave you a locker to put them in. I'm just saying. I remember this. It went viral. <laughs> dumb. Jeremy. Yeah. What is your origin story with this classic Disney film? Well, I'm someone who needs applause to live, so I always related to Tinkerbell. And <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, remember, if you ever see Peter Pan as a play, which I guess I did when I was a kid, because I remember this. This isn't in the movie, but Tinkerbell always like wakes up and, and, and becomes born again because the audience is clapping for her because fairies oh, like, right. live off of applause. Oh, born again Christian, yeah. No, that's not what I meant. Anyway, but um, yeah, I relate to that. No, I'm just kidding. But I think it was just a staple in the household. I remember the... You know, the white plastic Disney VHSs, and that was just always there. And I just enjoyed all the songs. And I don't know, I don't remember like an initial memory, but it was always just in my childhood. Mm -hmm. I, this one for me is like a big one, I think. One of the biggest of the oldies. Um, Not to get all nerdy, but uh, when I was in therapy school, psychology school, and I took a Carl Jung class. Which, mm. uh, for you nerds out there, is a contemporary of Freud, Carl Jung, yeah. a father of depth psychology, and uh, he propagated the archetype. And uh, there's an archetype uh, called the Puer Eternus, which is the eternal child that mm. is very much embodied by Peter Pan. And uh, let's just say I really relate to that archetype of the eternal child. Not wanting to grow up, in some ways, feels like the story of my life. Yeah. That's probably why the first word that was recorded by you in this podcast episode was boobs. Yeah. (laughs) So something about the nostalgia of this film just really always, always gets to me. Um, I remember watching one of the many adaptation films or, I don't know, sequel films. I think it's more of an adaptation. It was a live action one that came out in like 2003. And I remember watching it alone in my dorm in college. Oh my god, you're talking about the Jeremy Sumter version is, of Peter Pan. He's the hot, blonde Peter Pan? Yeah, everyone was like obsessed with him. And it's funny because I really wasn't. I didn't really get the appeal. I kind of got it later. I was like, okay, I get it. But I don't know, he just looked like a kid to me. So I wasn't really... I mean, that Sumter was sumptuous. What are you going to do? Apparently so. He wasn't really in anything after that. But I just have this really strong memory of being alone in my dorm watching this Peter Pan live action movie and the part where Tinkerbell is dying and they all get her to come back to life by saying, like, I believe in fairies. Yeah. I was like bawling my eyes out. I just like, it just yeah. gets me so time. And there's, there's a similar scene in Never Finding Neverland. I remember watching that one. Which is another favorite movie of mine. Yeah. Oh, God, it always gets me. I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen either of those films in forever, but I remember I saw them both in theaters, actually. I think it was 2003 and 2004. But before we talk a little bit about our impressions after rewatching it, which we just did, 
Let's have a brief recapulous recap of the plot. Oh my gosh, you guys. It's, it's my moment. I'm recapping the plot. Oh gosh. Just get on with it. Oh my god, fine. Um, okay, so basically it opens on this nice little British town. and, and <laughs> Little British town. British I think you mean London, the largest city in Britain? Fine, it's freaking London, the largest city, whatever. Um, so there's John and Michael and Wendy, and they're like, we're a perfect family. Um, and then poor, okay, freaking Nana, who's like the dog, who's like this maid dog, like oh literally dressed up as a maid, is like so trying to give the kids medicine, and John and Michael are like playing swords, not even paying attention, and like, and Nana's like, oh my god, you guys, like, I just made this. Like, please get it together. And then the dad, George, is like, I'm mad and I'm probably an alcoholic. <laughs> and, like, is like, you shouldn't be children. You should grow up even though you're still children. And then gets mad at Nana because everyone rushes to her when he trips over her. And she's, like, in the corner all sad. And they're like, oh, my God, oh, Nana. So and George is like, why didn't you pay attention to me when I fell and hurt myself? So he's like, you need to be on a rope outside because I'm mad at Wendy because she keeps talking about Peter Pan visiting us the night before. Also, there's like a really very, very dangerous window in this room, which is the nursery. It's like you could literally fall outside <laughs> to your death. wide open, huge window, no yeah. screen or anything. Like it's you could just plummet. Second story. Like plummeting is a thing that should happen and it doesn't but what happens next jeremy oh what happens next is that wendy's like peter pan oh my god you like appeared and like i'm gonna kiss you randomly that was weird <laughs> so peter pan comes because wendy stole his shadow which i didn't remember in this at all <laughs> and it's like in a drawer and tinkerbell's very jealous at this point oh yeah um, anyways there peter pan's like i'm gonna take you guys to neverland because that would be really cool and all you need is faith, trust, and pixie dust. And Tinkerbell notices that, you know, Wendy's getting all the attention. And Wendy's just like this innocent girl, but Tinkerbell's just rude. I don't know. Except that she wants that D. Yeah, she really wanted that kiss very randomly. I don't know where that came. And that never, like, is brought up again. It's just kind of happened. Anyway, so they fly to Neverland. And then this, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly happens again. They go past Big Ben. Um, and they... Big Ben is a clock. It's a famous clock in London, yes. And they arrive at Neverland, and there's like three different groups. Okay, there's the pirates, which Peter Pan is neck to neck with Captain Hook. There are the mermaids, who are very, very jealous of Wendy and love Peter Pan. And yeah, that's it. No, there actually is a third group. And um, yeah, I guess we're going to talk about it. This is the more stereotypically racist aspect of this film. Which we will get into at length later. We will get into. Um, the group is referred to as Indians in the film. Um, um, but yes, there is just some sort of conflict with... I guess there's four groups, because then there's the Lost Boys, which crowd around Peter Pan. And Tinkerbell's all jealous, and she flies ahead and tells the Lost Boys to shoot at Wendy and calls her a bird. And they literally shoot at her with rocks, and she plummets, as the nursery window didn't do, um, and falls right into Peter Pan's arms. Aww. Aww. And then the Lost Boys are like, let's go fight the natives. And then they do, and they get captured by the natives. But there's actually a, quite a wholesome talk, which how they've done this before, and they keep getting caught by the other and then being let go. It's very sweet. But this time, the chief is like, oh, hell no, my daughter's missing. Tiger Lily. Because um, Captain Hook has stolen... Tiger Lily, there's quite, and Captain Hook is like, where is Peter Pan on this tiny ass island? I have yet to find him, <laughs> even though it's a small ass island. And Tiger Lily, who is the most stoic character in this film, is like, mm -mm, I am not answering to you or any man because she's kind of badass. Uh, so 
the Jeter saves Tiger Lily by a fun little game of, ha-ha, I'm pretending to be Captain Hook. So Smee is like, what is going on? There's so much chaos in this film. Captain Hook's lovable sidekick, Smee. Yeah, also, when the pirates happen, they're like really good singers. Like, I don't know why in every single film, pirates are always great singers. <laughs> Captain Hook is very musically talented on the piano or organ. I guess it's like a requirement if you need to join a pirate crew you like have a musical audition you have to be really talented i think so i mean you can't do anything else in the sea except sing yeah okay anyways so peter saves tiger lily and then captain hook is like haha i will um take tinkerbell while they're and i'm gonna take tinkerbell and trap her but also before that convince her to locate peter pan's little hideout for us so then they steal away very diabolical so they steal away the lost boys and wendy and they gift peter pan a bomb in a in a box and tinkerbell realizes this and then flies back to peter pan is like no i'm sorry i shouldn't have done this but let me save you and she gets blown up and somehow gets saved that's never really addressed um and then peter pan's like oh my gosh we got to save them and so they go to the pirate ship and then meanwhile captain hook is scared of this ticking crocodile basically anyway so they fight and peter pan wins duh and is like you're a codfish captain hook and captain hook's i'm a codfish and then it ends with them like being chased into the sunset by the alligator but then wendy and the children go back home and the dad's like okay i'm like feeling better than before but i'm really like not okay with this whole peter pan thing oh wait there's like this cloud pirate ship in the sky and it looks like familiar from my childhood and they all bathe in nostalgia at the childhood innocence like qualities mm. and then peter pan like doesn't really grow up at any point or doesn't really gain maturity or like a new self you know i just want to climb right into that nostalgia bubble bath and soak mm. love it yeah Thank you, Jeremy, for that recapulous recap. You are literally so welcome. What are our impressions after seeing Peter Pan again? <laughs> it's like, is there a rest of that question? Um, I thought it was really very entertaining and a lot more humorous than I remembered. It went by so fast. That too. It's like an hour and ten minutes or something. It felt like half an hour. I mean, it was like the definition of action-packed. It just never yes. slowed down. It was one sequence after another, mm-hmm. from pirate fight to dancing to being caught by Native Americans to <laughs> flying mm-hmm. to <laughs> just everything. Uh, yeah. Honestly, it really like almost exceeded my expectations. I, I was, think me too, actually. I was like really excited to watch it, and then I was just so entertained and happy this whole time. It was mm-hmm. like it was like. This feeling of euphoria that just washed over me. It was a fun view. I mean, there's just so many wonderful things in it. I mean, first of all, having a dog as a nanny, how awesome is that? I mean, I think the only thing that would make it better is having a cat as a nanny, but they're, <laughs> they'd be too an- annoyed with you. You would say that. Yeah, I did. No, I think the big fluffy dog is the nanny. I know, He's Nana. So cute. Shout out to Emily again, who has one of those dogs and, of course, named it Nana. Oh my god! And then when they kick Nana out, it's like <gasps> that so is animal abuse. Tragic. I literally watching it brought me back to being a kid, and I remember that that was like I almost couldn't watch that part. It was, was so sad. traumatically Poor sad. Nana. She's the, she gives that classic the dog, puppy dog eye goals. Puppy so dog eyes. One thing I thought was pretty entertaining was how when George the father says to Wendy, 
you're gonna have to have a room of your own. Literally everyone gasps and turns oh like, oh, it's the worst possible thing imaginable. I think that's the biggest generational difference between then right. and now. Now it's like, oh my God, I got my own room. Like, I know. Is it free rent? Like, you what have are a 13 the... year old daughter now. She's like, holy fuck, get me out of this room with this fucking five year old. And what is he, 10? Probably. Know. One sort of unanswerable question I had was like, how did this whole cycle of Peter start? Because I hadn't, one thing I didn't remember, which you mentioned, was like, right from the start of the film, Wendy believes in Peter. She right. knows all about Peter, all about the stories that go along with Peter. She has his shadow in a drawer. <laughs> and I'm just like, how did this all begin? Like, is I it... think I think it came from storybooks. I mean, it says that Wendy tells them stories, so clearly they're. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's reciting them from something that she made up. I well, think right. they're in so stories. Is Peter like an established character from like a known children's book in this world? Or well, I think in this world, I mean, Peter Pan. The whole point of his character is that he doesn't grow up. He's been around for a while at well, right. this age doing these things, and then it's revealed at the very end. The father remembers this like pirate ships. So mm. I think he is kind of established in this world as like this kind of folk tale figure that's kind of just been doing the same thing until he, you know, takes someone to Neverland. I think a more adult perspective that I had watching it now was like Peter Pan as this sort of malevolent spirit that kidnaps children. Like yeah, that that's too. pretty dark. That too. It's, a, you know, it's, a it's almost intense. like a tamer version of what we saw in Pinocchio with Pleasure Island. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, what is it with these islands, man? Jesus. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I would want to go to Neverland. It's it would so be fun. fun to experience. It seems like a hoot. I'd probably be like, I can't really talk to anybody here, but okay, it's fun. That's true. How fast would Neverland get old? <laughs> it would be like a day, and then you're yeah. like, I'm on a tiny it, island. It almost seems like everyone's in like a cycle there. Everyone's caught. Let's talk about the cultural impact of this film. Let's do it. Over the years. I mean, this is really an iconic film. There's so many different books, films, pieces of art that have come from this. I mean, originally it was a play before Disney made their movie. But there's Peter and the Starcatchers. Yes. Which is an awesome book that I really enjoyed. I think Peter and the Starcatchers is kind of like an origin story of Peter Pan. There's the classic Hook with Robin Williams, Mm -hmm. which is Peter Pan when he's like grown up and then he has to go back to Neverland. That's one of those films that like should have been incredible and it was good, but it was like also kind of weird. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember really liking it. And isn't it kind of just seen as like a classic? (laughs) I don't know. I think it's sort of seen as one of those like kind of quirky weird classics yeah. not like this is one of the greatest movies ever made but more well, like, like a like a cult classic yeah something okay. like that sure there's finding neverland of course as i referenced with johnny depp and kate winslet mm-hmm. which is about uh the man jm barry jm barry who wrote the play mm-hmm. played by johnny depp um before he was sort of a problematic figure um And, oh my god, I love that movie. It's like all of the nostalgia that I love so much about the Peter Pan lore. And it just cranks it to 11. I forget it, honestly. It's basically... No, I remember it, but I just, I need to see it again. He basically befriends this old widow and hangs out with her kids. And then she dies. Is she that old? No, you're right. She's young and hot. Did you just give away the whole plot of the movie? (laughs) I did. Oh my god, I forgot about that part. She's young and hot. Damien. 
All right, and then there's Peter Pan that I mentioned that I watched alone in my the college Jeremy dorm. The Jeremy Sumptuous, yeah. Jeremy Sumptuous. Which is kind of a suspect thing to do, but okay. <laughs> and then there was this one called Pan. Yeah, that what is that? That came out in like 2008 or 10 or something. Okay. I didn't even see it. It was like a weird action-y, more epic one. Hmm. I don't even know. And then there's, of course, Pan's Labyrinth, which is very much um, based on the Disney... Uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that I'm one's kidding. a... Jesus Christ, that movie gave me... I love that movie. Nightmares. Um, but it's interesting because I don't know how much it was this film that kind of... I mean, clearly it added to the popularity of the character, but I'm, I'm curious how much this film in particular kind of inspired these adaptations. No, I think similar with like pulling from classic fairy tales like with Snow White they've Disney very much grabbed onto something that was like a major figure in the lore of the culture but in terms of the legacy of this film so Tinkerbell is a Disney icon I mean is she the most iconic character that we've come across in our Disney rewatch so far well, I was my first initial reaction was like no, Peter Pan is, but then I just thought about how much Tinkerbell has oh like God been involved in anything disney i mean she always starts the fireworks at disneyland Mm -hmm. she's literally in the disney logo before every single film like a little fairy flies across the pixie dust and right you know her wand which i don't think she has a wand in this film oh yeah (laughs) they totally just added that in yeah and i think tinkerbell is like hello kitty man she's like her own brand (laughs) yeah tinkerbell's huge it's true tank man twink tank (laughs) <laughs> Tink mania. Twink mania. Um, well, let us, before we take a little break and talk about our categories, we've got to tackle the problematic aspects of this film. What? Yeah. What do you mean? There was nothing problematic about Did you Peter know, Pan. I don't know if you knew this, Jeremy, but yeah, Peter Pan has got some racist stuff in it. What? This is brand new information. I was as shocked as you were. I mean, seriously. What? It's very shocking. Um, but before we get into that more specifically, I wanted to introduce something that Jeremy brought up as a fun new test that we can bring to these films when we think about how they measure up in terms of our 2022 standards of social consciousness, which is this thing called the Bechdel test. Ah, right. Yeah. Jeremy, do you want to explain what the Bechdel test is? Well, basically the Bechdel test, I forget who she is, but I think her last name was Bechdel. Good but guess. <laughs> Fair guess. I'm so sorry. I've had wine. Um, but yeah, no, it's basically when two female characters in a film or play or book or whatever uh, are having a conversation about a topic that does not involve a man, if I'm summarizing that correctly, that then passes the Bechdel test. So... Regarding Peter Pan, I don't think this passes the Bechdel <laughs> test. I mean, the mermaids are fighting over Peter Pan with Wendy. Um, Tinkerbell doesn't speak, and she well, is right. just I jealous like of Wendy. When, the, when you first gave me this test, it really sort of threw me for a loop, because I was like, sometimes even the first part of the test is hard to meet. Mm-hmm. Like, literally just having two women having a conversation right. with each other. Yeah, Does that even happen in Peter well, Pan? Well, I guess I Wendy and her mother actually but i don't yes that's right her mother puts her to bed 
It's not much of a conversation. <laughs> but they're they do talk about Peter Pan, they're though. They're literally talking about <laughs> Peter Pan. Or the father. Like, oh, don't listen to your father. Damn it. I, was so, I thought we were getting there, but yeah. literally it's about Peter Pan. Wendy's like, no, leave the window open. And her mom's like, why? Because he's going to come. He's gonna and come. her mom, very reasonably, is like, I'm sorry. What? Who is going to come into my 12-year-old daughter's window? Who is a he? Yeah. And she's like, Peter Pan. I have his shadow. <laughs> Have any Disney films that we've watched so far passed the Bechdel test? Uh, I think that would take too much thinking to go through yeah. everything. But I think from, Cinderella has, actually. Yeah. From now on, we're going to be putting these films to the Bechdel test. Uh, so far, Peter Pan has failed. Sorry, Peter Pan. I don't Peter know how Pan. many films are going to pass. We'll see. Uh-oh. Okay. Let's talk about uh, the Indian problem. Yeah. So I, so I started to like look into some research around this there wasn't really that much and then i kind of realized you don't really need to research this because it's kind of just all there on the surface mm-hmm. you know like i'm sorry if you need a couple people to explain to you why what makes the red man red is racist then i don't know what to say unfortunately <laughs> this is just what was common for that time this is how these views were just complete stereotypes and it's it's a little bit i have to say it's a little bit worse though than i was even remembering Mostly yeah. because of all the John stuff. Like, he really is one of the big oh, yeah. lenses through which you see the Indians, as they call them in mm-hmm. the film, because he's very fascinated with them from, like, a scientific lens. And he's always saying things like, they're cunning, but not very intelligent. Mm-hmm. And he calls them savages. He says very, they're very savage. So he's very much... Uh, it's, it's like a very colonial voice mm-hmm. of like this sort of fascination. With like this, studying them as yes, not people. But... Strange, exotic uh, people, uh, but obviously having no respect for them as culture, as a culture or as human beings. Right. Which is bad. It's also interesting because in Neverland, it's almost like this, the different groups are like these like fictional beings or like these kind of like fairy tale type things with like pirates and which, you know, have there have been real pirates, but it's more like a fictional version of pirates and like mermaids, which clearly don't exist. And it's kind of like this fictionalized, like non, you know, reality version of this group of people. It very much is. I mean, I don't know if that's some sort of excuse that Disney would try to give. Like, oh, this was No, but it's like, like a... grouping a, a real set of people with like right. a culture into this whole right. fictional like, land. Like, quote unquote, Indians are as like strange and mythical as right. as mermaids so there's a whole song about uh, what makes the red man red which uh, at one point in the song they sort of make a joke about how uh seeing a pretty girl and blushing made them turn red and we've been blushing ever you since. you know what it's i didn't even of... is that really what they say yeah i was it's just kind like, of like it's sort of reducing it to this sort of joke of like oh we blush all the time and that's why we're red um, I didn't even pick that. That's... Something I thought was really funny was like at the beginning of the song, they're about to sing it to them, and John is like, "Ooh, this should be good. This would be most educational." <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Nope, <laughs> this is not going to give you a lot of accurate information, John, about uh, Native Americans." I'm a, I'm sorry. At one point, they managed to uh, throw in a dig at sign language as well. Yeah, <laughs> on top of I everything else, that. when the Na- uh, Native American chief. Um, delivers an entire monologue in sign language that I'm pretty sure is not real sign language. I'm uh, yeah, I don't think so. I'm not 
personally fluent in sign language, but I don't think that's what's what it was. There was also, in addition to that, a level of like really bad misogyny. They they have a, an offensive term regarding a, a native w- woman, and there's they're kind of saying that Wendy can't join in to the merriment and having her fetch firewood, mm. um, which I didn't even remember. Right. It's so, just bad. <laughs> it's bad all around. Disney, you've done but, it again. Yeah. You've it's a fun scene outside of that, but it's hard to. <laughs> look I know, and past it's a shame that. too because this is such a great film. It's one yeah. of my favorites, and there's always that part of it. I thought it might be worth mentioning. You know, the dynamic between Peter and Tinkerbell kind of has a sort of, I don't know, manipulative, unhealthy vibe to it. The way she's sort of just obsessed with him and obsessed with getting attention from him and it kind of seems like her entire world just revolves around him yeah it I seems know. like all the women on this island kind of encounter that in a way right yeah the mermaids and meanwhile another problematic aspect that i noticed is regarding the boys it's very much a boys will be boys mentality right that kind of sees like in the case of wendy sees like the girls as like the caretaker even if they haven't reached puberty like Wendy kind of mothers the boys even though she's a kid herself and like why shouldn't she be allowed to be a child too yeah Peter literally kidnaps her to Neverland so that she can be a mother to all the lost boys um I also thought like sorry with like the mermaids um they're like fighting with Wendy they're not supporting other women they're like fighting for attention from a man it's just you know like right there's an incredibly patriarchal pillar axis that the entire film revolves around where all the female characters are essentially blindly obsessed with peter pan and like yeah who's like and like literally trying girl. to get each other killed in order to oh my god yeah they're like nonchalantly trying to drown wendy tinkerbell's trying to like have her shoot like shot from the sky and then animal abuse with nana oh nana <laughs> i mean <laughs> they did uh, make a point of saying it was a warm night but you know We are going to take a quick break before we get into our categories. Jeremy? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm a godfish! (laughs) Damien, like, have more self-confidence, seriously. At least you're not tilapia. (sighs) We're back, guys. We are, with a vengeance. That's my favorite quote from this entire film. The way he says it is so good. His the delivery face, is great. His face just screws up so pathetically. <laughs> it's like, you can tell it's the worst thing he could ever say. His whole dignity is just shattered in the moment that he has to say that he's a codfish. <laughs> so sad. All right, Jeremy, let's get into the best topic of all. Ooh. Let's get into it. How horny is this movie? You know, this this movie is, is decently horny, I have to say. There's a lot of sexual aspects of Tinkerbell. There's a lot of fighting over man. I was going to say men, but really just one man. Is it a man? No, a boy. A fighting boy. over a, like a 12-year-old boy <laughs> in this film, oddly. There's um, kisses that are wanting to happen. There's I know Wendy goes right away for the kiss. And you can tell she's going for the mouth, too. She closes her eyes and like lurches forward. And Peter's like, what's going on? Yeah, and, and she doesn't really, like... It's more like Peter that has the attraction for Wendy after the fact, it looks like. And Wendy's kind of over it, but just kind of like, okay, whatever, it's kind of cool that you're here. Oh, I don't think she's over it. She tells her parents at the end... That's true. the greatest thing of all was, was Peter. Peter! Wendy 
I'm going to tread carefully, okay, because she's about 12, 13 is what we estimate. Yeah. But that is an age when sometimes you begin to develop, you know, burgeoning feelings of attraction. Mm-hmm. And it seems that this is the case for Wendy, that she is really uh, beginning to feel stirrings, shall we say, <laughs> for <laughs> for Peter. <laughs> so many stirrings happen. Um, and then going back to Tinkerbell, there was this moment where... Tinkerbell is like seeing in the mirror mirror the size of her hips, which is very interesting and kind of comparing them to the rest of her body. And then she gets stuck in a drawer and can't get out because of her hips. I mean, that that was an interesting decision there. Yeah. No, Tinkerbell in general is like, we have to talk about it. We can't just skip past the fact that like, what is going on with Tinkerbell? She literally is a pinup doll girl. Like her, she is designed exactly like a pinup girl with a dress that is so incredibly short that it doesn't even cover her butt and cleavage. It kind of reminded me when she saw her, like she's walking over this mirror so she can like see, like she goes, oh, it almost like reminded me of like a little Marilyn Monroe thing. I wasn't sure if that was intentional. When I did the research, there were a lot of comparisons to Marilyn Monroe. Uh, Hmm. Apparently there's a different specific model person that she was uh, modeled after right but i don't know i got kind of curious about like why is she so blatantly sexual like this was f- the 50s i believe 52 and i did a little bit of research of looking at just like regular clothes in the 50s and it's all long skirts like somebody dressed like this walking down the street in the 50s would be causing a scene now, yeah. when you go to, like, the beach and you look at swimsuits, it's like, okay, yes, they had, like, kind of body suits that were, like, very short shorts, basically similar to, like, what Tinkerbell has. But, again, it's like, she's just extremely scantily clad, and there's no sort of reason for it. So are the mermaids, and there's more of a reason because they are just swimming. But, yeah, they don't have any tops, really. I mean, one has seashells, but some just have hair. Oh, yeah, we get topless mermaids. Yeah, Damien really liked this part. I perked up. No, (laughs) perked up. (laughs) But, I mean, at least there, there's almost this precedent of, like, I mean, mermaids in mythology are supposed to be topless. And maybe Disney was like, we can't really show it, but we can have their hair. Yeah, but aren't fairies supposed to be liberated and able to fly without feeling confined by their clothing, This is my point, though. I don't think before this movie there was a stereotype of fairies being super slutty. I mean, like, I don't think that was a thing. While you may have skipped out on the viewing of Fantasia, I watched it, and there were fairies that, I mean, I guess they were kind of flower fairies, but I don't know. They had legs. If you say so. Yeah. I don't know, man. It just seems like just aggressively sexual out of nowhere. I mean, they could have easily animated her not like that. (laughs) It's not, it's not central to her character. Um, But I mean, she does kind of have this coy, like personality like oh like i'm a little demure but i'm also you know a little spiteful in a weird way she feels like this (laughs) pixie dust spewing little encapsulation of like all of these patriarchal women stereotypes of like hyper sexualized objectified mostly just cares about the attention of men and is also a raging bitch (laughs) Yeah, but at the same time, when she has Peter, like, 
right where she wants him, almost like completely devoted to her because she's in a vulnerable position, having like taken over the explosion that just happened. Mm. Um, she then reinforces, no, you have to save the boys mm. and Wendy. She does point that out. So she actually does have some character development. She's in a got way. an arc. People. She has an arc, much like the pixie dust arc over the Disney. It's logo. all a metaphor, you guys. It's incredible. <laughs> There's also Tiger Lily and how she kind of ropes uh, Peter Pan into her dance. I don't know what it is about Peter Pan, but people are hot for him. I think he's just like the only option. I mean, <laughs> On the there's island. all the pirates. But they're like... They're men. Peter Pan is a boy. <laughs> well, they're all girls. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. You know what? I'm just another guy saying I don't personally get it, but whatever. Well, then like who Pan. would... You, okay, well, who, who would you get with in the film? Um, <laughs> I think we know, Jeremy. I think it's got to be all of the mermaids at the same time, uh, <laughs> especially because they're basically half human, half Cleo from Pinocchio. So of course oh I've got to love the them. freaking fish thing. <laughs> this never ends. I couldn't help but love them. It's my girl Cleo. Now I know why you're excited to get to the '90s. The little freaking mermaid. That's like the start of it in 1989. <laughs> Oh my god. There was a mermaid in the lagoon here in Neverland that did look a lot like Ariel, I have to say. Mm -hmm. um, no, the mermaids were very alluring. Like I said, they have their hair tastefully draped over their bosoms, or like a little <laughs> seashell that's just barely covering it. Uh-huh. Mm. Jeremy, tell the audience about your tragic love in this film. <laughs> So I was like, I really don't know who the hell I'm going to choose. I'm obviously not going to choose Peter. I was originally, actually, before seeing the film, I was like, maybe I'll just choose the Peter from Disneyland that I saw that I talked about before. Oh, nice choice. Nice but choice. then I was like, no, I had to pick one from the film. And I'm like, no, the dad's not an option. Hook is not an option. But then there was this one pirate. He was the first to, like be angry with Smee. He was in like a like a lilac shirt and had like a nice like beard. You like the way he really just grabbed Smee in this very He was very aggressive and direct. Yes. Yeah. It, that was nice. And uh yeah, he was definitely the like the only somewhat attractive pirate in the whole gang. Um but he tragically was like knocked over the boat by Captain Hook and then his death scene was like not on camera. No. Um yeah, he just disappeared and he died, I guess. But, he was oh thrown well. overboard. And eaten. Fun fact, I recently learned about pirates. In real history, pirates never really had people walk the plank. That was not a thing. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, Instead, what? they just threw people overboard, much like... Was there ever a plank? got thrown overboard. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know. I have no idea. I think it was maybe completely fiction. Mm -hmm. Maybe one last thing that I'll say that's kind of interesting is that while all... So many of these female characters are clearly super horny for Peter. Peter does not... He seems weirdly oblivious, kind of. He's, like, really this representation of that, like, pre-adolescent boy who's, like, has no clue what's going on. Well, he likes the attention, but he's very much, like, into himself. Right. It's more like he likes people listening to his escapades and his mm -hmm. stories of how great he is. Not like he's actually interested or attracted, necessarily, to right. anyone. What's your favorite scene? Oh my god. It's got to be the ending scene. Yeah. When they come back into the room and uh, George Darling and Mary Darling, the father and mother, which, by the way, Darling, all-time great last name. Mm-hmm. They come back to see Wendy sleeping by the window 
What are you doing there, Wendy? Oh, I came back from Neverland. And she goes on this whole rant about their adventures. And they're like, oh my God, again? And then they spot the pirate ship ghost cloud George is all ready to launch into another rant about how you need to grow up and stop tailing these weird fanciful tales. And then he sees, like you just said, a pirate ship. And he's like, oh shit, I remember this. Going across the moon. And he's like, oh, what is that? I remember... I think I remember seeing something like that when I was very young. And this really hard, intense, you know, stern father is completely taken off guard in this moment of wonder. And, oh my god, it just gave me chills. Yeah, no, I actually, for real, me too. I was, like, really touched at that scene. Um, That's definitely a highlight for me. Um, I also think it's funny that none of them are in Neverland, but I think the very beginning scene was just very... uh, fun when George the father is it's just chaos in the bedroom and he's falling and Nana's involved and that was just really funny and it was kind of brought me back to oh wow this film is really entertaining and, and just funny it feels like an extremely wholesome depiction of like two young boys at play they're like I will unhand me you rapscallion and then like someone drops his glasses and he's like oh wait I dropped my glasses here there they are thank you <laughs> yeah I also like the following the leader scene when there's like random animals there, like the bear that is like, I'm going to swipe you. And then little John has like a little toy bear on his shoulders and the bear's like, oh, never mind. There's like a bear involved in your gang. Yeah, that bear's confused. I have to say the uh, zoology of Neverland is incredibly (laughs) confusing. We go from these like orangutans in the jungle to a grizzly bear on a rock to a rhino on a plane in a matter of seconds. Yeah. It's crazy. There's a lot going on there. Oh my God. Let me explain to you though why that ending scene gave me chills. Because, so the movie opens with this quote, which I wrote down because I thought is one of the most badass opening quotes from story ever, Mm -hmm. which is, all of this has happened before and will happen again. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just a great quote to start a story. I'm on board right away. You got me, Peter Pan. Hmm. And then I had this chill run up my spine when George says, I think I've seen something like that before when I was very young. And I realized that what that meant at the beginning of all this has happened before and will happen again is that that happened to George when he was a little boy. He went to Neverland. And when these children, when they are little, will go to Neverland because Neverland is a metaphor. That's what apparently happens in the sequel, too. But no, it's true. I mean, none of the... Besides that one moment of Tinkerbells, I guess, none of the characters on Neverland really have any development. It, it kind of is like a cycle that repeats itself, just affecting the outer worlds, like the Darling family. But did you get that, though, Jeremy, that Neverland is a metaphor? It's yeah. kind of a sophisticated read. Not many people see it right away, but it's actually kind of a metaphor, like for childhood, you know? Did you get that? Oh my god, you were acting so pretentious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you get that? Yeah, like, it's like a metaphor. <laughs> Let's talk about the music of this film. Oh, yay! What was sort of the overall musical style or vibe that you got from this film? I think it's similar to Disney films before this. I think it yeah. kind of has that, like, chorus. A lot of the... Yeah earlier Disney films kind of have like an opening chorus in this one it was the Judd Conlon chorus who sang second start of the right you can fly you can fly you can fly which are the more like familiar songs from this film um they're a little more like you know show tuney style I guess but like kind of have that like Disney magic about them 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, was, I thought music is done very it well. It had a very sort of show tunes kind of vibe, which is a lot of Disney, understandably, but also... But more of like an orchestral element. Uh-huh. Very orchestral. There's a lot of songs that are kind of whimsical mm-hmm. and playful, which kind of go with the childhood themes, I think, like mm-hmm. following the leader and even you can fly a little bit. I wrote down second star to the right. That's just such a cool concept. Like, it's just the second star to the right and straight on till morning and you'll get there. It's so cool. And it's been covered by Jesse McCartney. Oh. <laughs> that makes it even cooler, undoubtedly. It, it really does. And I love Jesse McCartney. So we've got second star to the right. We've got uh, that, I think the opening chorus, which reprises itself, is the... And there's a smile in your heart. Da, like da, da. I love that part. Da, da, da. There's just some cool like orchestral elements in this film that it are done really, really does well. kind of yeah. It digs into some of those big horns and stuff that mm-hmm. not as many of the Disney films have been doing so far, which I really appreciated. And Second Star to the Right is really like seen as like kind of a classic in the Disney scope, kind of on the same level as like When You Wish Upon a Star or like A Dream Is Wish Your Heart Makes mm-hmm. or. Um, someday my prince will come. It's kind of like that, like dreaming of something, um, that kind of lyric that kind of fits into the whole Disney scope. Right. Stars are a big theme in Disney. Yeah. When you dream on one, um, there's the pirate song, which I feel kind of influenced Yoho, a pirate's life for me from the pirates of the Caribbean ride. But I don't know. I don't know how accurate that is. Life is a wonderful life from the open sea. Again, the pirates are great singers. I don't even know the whole thing. Look at you. I don't even, I was Hmm. mumbling half of that. I think your mother and mine is also very sweet. Um, like in oh, right. the song, like I meant, you know, like your mom's awesome. But... <laughs> yeah, your mother's lovely. <laughs> yeah, and mine. But no, lady. the song is just a nice little moment that I for- had forgotten about too. Oh yeah, it's so sweet. Um, and it also affects the pirates, which is like another funny thing. They're all like trying to kidnap the Lost Boys and they're like, Smee's like crying. It's funny. There's this really clever and great cinematic juxtaposition of all the Lost Boys in this it's really like the one quiet moment in the entire film. Because like I said, the whole yeah. film is just breakneck Chaos. from start Manic. to finish. But Wendy sits them all down and reminds them about a mother and what a mother is and sings them a lullaby. Yeah. And just as they're all being sung this lullaby, we see the pirates creeping in to the hideout. But then the pirates listen to the song and start crying. <laughs> and this song had it was actually a potential turning point for the whole film because it almost convinced all the lost boys to return with wendy michael and john to the family and just like leave neverland forever but that doesn't end up happening because of the pirates and it really unveils an important character element for peter because he's listen he's in a corner listening to this song being sung and looking all kind of disgruntled snapping an arrow in half (laughs) and then he kind of comes out and says fine go if you want but if you grow up you can never come back. Yeah. And then he's like, they'll be back. And that really lets you know about this Peter character who is stuck in Neverland and is against ever growing up. Uh, I also thought the moment when Smee pulls up his shirt and has mother tattooed on his <laughs> chest was adorable. That's funny. I also have to say, following the leader, that song, I think, has really taken a life of its own outside of the film. I think a lot of kids have just sang that just while having right. fun. Not even knowing that it comes from peter pan i think i've forgotten that too that it comes from this movie so 
the song What Makes the Red Man Red is super racist, but unfortunately it's kind of catchy. <laughs> yeah, kind of a fun one. <laughs> Musically, it's fun. Um, one thing I'd forgotten about but I really enjoy was the little theme song for the crocodile that has the TikTok, and then there's this little melody that goes... Which I never remembered. I think I enjoyed hearing it because I was like, that's something that gets stuck in my head once in a while, and I'd forgotten it comes from this <laughs> movie. All right. Let us talk about the characters. We have got so many amazing characters in this film, and I feel like we need to start... And I can't believe it's taking us into our seventh episode of this series of watching Disney films. We need to start talking about the villains, which are one of the most iconic, classic, fun parts of any good Disney film is the villain. And what better villain to start our official villain watch subcategory with than the inimitable Captain Hook. Captain Hook. Um, yeah, you know, every Disney film kind of has some sort of villain, I guess. And Captain Hook was more of like a funny villain. Um, he's not that menacing as perhaps maybe like the evil queen in Snow White or even Lady Tremaine in Cinderella, but he's, he's just funny. He's like an entertaining villain to watch. But see, I think this is one of the ways that this film is a seminal film for Disney in the villain side of things because I think Captain Hook is like the first villain like I think after Captain Hook being incredibly entertaining and funny becomes sort of a must for a Disney villain yeah I think it actually goes that side it's like it's either either or it's like okay you're either going to be like a really funny like comedic villain that's like not really taken too seriously or you're just like dark and sinister and there's rarely any comedy attached to it yeah and he's just perfectly encapsulates that that wonderful villain archetype of just so melodramatic and over the top and just chewing the scenery Mm -hmm. in every scene i'm a godfish and uh his mustache is incredibly mobile uh when he talks which is great what would you rate him then? Um, let yeah, I want to start rating the villains mm. to really start to think about which ones are top notch. I feel like Captain Hook is pretty up there. I think if we have a, a five star rating system, mm-hmm. I I'm gonna give him a four, and I'm thinking maybe it's partly recency bias because we haven't really seen a lot of rewatched a lot of the films that come up. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, he's pretty great. I would also rate him a four. Are we talking about like on entertainment value, just how much we like him or like how menacing they are like in comparison to each other? I think entertainment value, how iconic they are and how much they kind of steal the show in a way. I would say four out of five. That was what I was thinking too. Boom. Outside of villains though, who's your favorite character? Outside of villains, I think there's so many fun characters in this film, but... I got to go with my boy Smee. Oh my God. I was going to say Smee too. <laughs> He's kind of the only choice. He's so funny. <laughs> He's so He's adorable. adorably, you know, that, that person that's just totally unaware of things, but like kind of falls ass backward into doing the right thing all the time. Um, and he's just, he's got a good heart. He's a pirate. You know, <laughs> it's so delicious in a character when you get two juxtaposing forces, like a pirate that's supposed to be ruthless 
and instead he's just incredibly sweet and that's always fun yeah it's me and i think it's funny that like him and all the other pirates just want to like go out back to the sea to like be pirates and captain hook has just this fixation on peter pan they're like oh my god this freaking pan guy like really i did not remember that part but i was struck by that too like they're all like come on man we're pirates let's go out to sea (laughs) like they start giving up in the final fight and smith just starts like packing up like a a getaway boat (laughs) with like no explanation and all the pirates just fall onto it and they're like oh my god hook like hurry up I mean, if your captain was incredibly obsessed with finding a 12-year-old boy, you would also probably start to feel frustrated. I'd be concerned, yes. Exactly. Who would win the Hunger Games? Um, I mean, Peter can fly, so that's that's cool, but he can't evade arrows forever. Maybe Tinkerbell, she could hide quite well. I don't know if anyone of them would really win, though. What do you think? I was sort of struck by that moment when Tinkerbell's super angry and she flies through a leaf and leaves behind a <laughs> it's like seared, burned. burning hole in the leaf. Yeah. Sounds like she can kind of turn herself into a molten missile. She probably has powers that we don't even know about. Dude, Tinkerbell would murder some fools. Absolutely. <sighs> um, any queer coded characters that we should mention, do you think? I mean, not outrageously so. I think, honestly, anyone in this film could be quoted as queer if you really think about it, but... There's no, like, real... Besides the jealousy, there's no, like, real, like, romance, really. I mean, you could argue it, I guess, with Peter Pan and Wendy. What do you think... Yeah, what do we think about Peter, who seems sort of disinterested in all these women who are fawning after him? Yeah, I mean, I think he's just a kid. I don't actually think he's, like, a queer character. But there's kind of been a following of, like, him being, like, a twink, like, actually. Right. Like, that's totally being, like, an internet thing. I mean, you could argue that, like, Peter Pan... And the Lost Boys are queer-coded because they are rooted in childhood. A lot of, at least, gay men specifically. Um, a lot of queer people kind of had their childhoods taken away from them. They weren't able to express themselves the way other kids were. So a lot of their um, lifestyle can actually be rooted in childhood. So that's what I kind of thought of when observing the Lost Boys and Peter Pan. I thought of that, too, of like how all the Lost Boys had a specific animal kind of clothing theme. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, it just reminded me of like, I do feel like sometimes in the queer community, you see people really identifying with different aspects of their identity, like animalistic aspects of identity and mm. like ears and tails and like, you know, those kinds of things that, I don't know, it kind of reminded me of that, you know, visual stuff. That yeah. The Lost Boys had. That's true. Um, I also think that Hook and Smee are totally hooking up. Oh, yeah. Hooking up. <laughs> that is uh, undeniable. Yeah. I think that the Croc and Hook have a thing as well. <laughs> a kind of a, a will they, won't they back and yeah, forth Yeah, and Hook is just like denying everything, but we know. <laughs> Hook's in denial. Um, speaking of Hook, the same actor, voice actor who plays Hook also plays yeah. George Darling, the father. Um which and even like visually the characters are styled pretty closely they look kind of similar and i think it's this parallel metaphor happening again of the father is the villain of the childhood household sphere by telling people they need to grow up and hook is this sort of projected villain of this childlike imaginal space um representing that same sort of adult 
stuckness and practicality and rigidness that the father represents, I feel like. Damien, you are so deep and intellectual, it is insane. Well, I mean, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, jeez, Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also thought that George Darling just had a kind of John Cleese vibe. I don't know, I don't know if <laughs> yeah. you've ever seen Faulty Towers, where he's just like the kind of bumbling, yeah. angry uh, hotelier. I think um, it's that British humor as well that was kind of taken into this film a bit with his character. Totally. Although this was in the 50s. Was this pre? This might have been pre-Monty Python. Anyway. Unanswerable mystery. Why is Wendy so obsessed with Peter? We can't even answer it, so let's just move on. <laughs> Who knows? Um, any potential future adaptations we'd want to see? There's been so many. It's like, how can we even add to what's been done? I'd be curious to see, like, a very, very, like, 2020s, like, modern interpretation, just out of curiosity. I don't know what that would look like. I Yeah, I really... Because it, it's really based off of, like, children's imaginations back mm -hmm. in the day, you know, right, with, like, right. pirates and mermaids. Like, what would kids imagine now? Like, technology? <laughs> I don't know. I'm curious <laughs> what that would be. You know what I just thought of, actually? And this is, like, a very, like, whole other deep-rooted conversation, but, like, just another problematic thing I just thought of is, like, Michael Jackson's Neverland. Have you heard oh, of that? Oh, yeah. Where he had this I whole, didn't like... I think of that. Yeah, and this was clearly, you know stemming from peter pan but it's like this whole thing like rooted in like going back to childhood right yeah in that case not for the right reasons no. i also think um it really works as a play it'd be fun to see different stage adaptations yeah. you know maybe a little bit more modern or maybe some kind of a sequel or play off of the story mm. or the mythology of the story yeah all right let's get into the meat of what we've been circling around this whole time, which is the metaphorical message. Did I mention that there's this is a metaphor, Jeremy? Did I mention this film? Yeah, Damien, you mentioned it was a freaking metaphor. Let's get into it, okay? Uh, Let's talk about the message of this film. Gosh, will you never land this point? <laughs> I'm going to land it right now, okay. bitches. It's about never growing up. Boom. What? That's crazy. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that at all. Well, that's what it's about, Jeremy. Huh. As, as crazy as it may seem. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> this story, Neverland, is a clear metaphor for the whimsy and wonder of childhood. And that idea of like living in a fantasy land. Like, I think adults say that kind of thing to kids a lot when they're at that age where they're like supposed to be growing up a little bit more. Like, you're just always living in a fantasy land. Right. You got your head in the clouds, which Neverland is literally in the clouds. Let mm -hmm. us remember. Um, and so that's sort of a read that you can have or an analogy, I guess, is that, that fantasy world of childhood. I mean, that's what Neverland is literally before they go there, they sing about all the wonderful things that they're imagining and the things that they physically see in Neverland are manifested by what they're singing about. Like John is like, I'd love to see some natives. And Michael's like, I want to hang out with, uh, pirates and, Wendy's like, I'd love to see a mermaid lagoon, which if she knew that they would all try to drown her, she might not have oh, said God, that. Oh, God, she regretted that one so hard. Oh, yeah. But uh, they literally, it's literally coming from their imaginations. So then, wait, what do you think did Disney want an audience to take away from it, like, as, like, a moral? Because I, I was just, thinking about this. I just think that it's such a home run 
story in all of the adaptations and iterations and forms that it's taken because the theme is so relatable. And maybe there are out there people out there listening that are like, this isn't relatable to me. I don't remember childhood, don't think about it much. I moved on, I'm an adult. But for me at least, I and I think for a lot of people, that sort of tension of like growing up and having to leave childhood behind, but the wonder of it and trying to reconnect to that, they're just such relatable themes that I think Disney was aware of that and wanted to sort of tell this story knowing that audiences would feel really stirred the way I felt stirred when I watched it. I felt stirred once. <laughs> <laughs> it was a wild night it was... in Panama. Oh my God, you knew about that? <laughs> um, I think my takeaway is what I think Disney was getting. I think there's two different takeaways that could be taken away. <laughs> um, and they're kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. I think number one is kind of a almost a callback to Pinocchio that I sort of mentioned before, like be good mm. and don't run away. Like, mm. you know, like a lot of kids want to like run away from their parents because there's too many rules or too much structure and they want to go mm. run away to a place called Neverland, but it ends up not being like what they expect it to be. I think there's that, but I think the biggest message which really gets, you know, rammed into your head at the very end is you can still be a child. You can still, hmm. you don't need to grow up too quickly. Hmm. That's what I think that the biggest character arc almost is the father when he's really like right. at two opposite ends of the spectrum at first. He's like, no, like you can't even mm-hmm. be talking about like fictional stories. And at the end he's like, oh wow, I went through this and now I hmm. remember. And he's like, let's not be too hasty to Wendy. Maybe you don't need to move out of the nursery. Although Wendy, after having her adventures in Neverland, is like, I'm ready to grow up now. So I don't know what that... Yeah, she's had her adventure. I don't know what that signifies. Maybe it's like, you know, you get one last kind of romp. Um, Maybe her experiences with Peter Pan and the aforementioned stirrings that I almost Yeah, I think it's almost like she's ready to grow up, but also be aware that, no, this is also an aspect of childhood that I can still kind of take with me. Mm Mm-hmm. But to go back to your question of, you know, to die would be an awfully big adventure and what that quote is really about, which is from the play. Yeah, what the hell is that what quote What the hell really is it about? about? I mean, I do think there's something about when children, I think part of the process of children moving into a phase of adulthood or like pre-adolescence is when they do first become aware of the fact that I will die one day. Like, if you notice like <laughs> eighth graders or like, kids in like a pre-adolescent phase will often have this sort of weird obsession with like blood or like skulls or goth kind of themes and like more dark things. How old? Like 12, 13 maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Or like even 11, you know. Um, I really do think there's sort of this psychological process that happens where they're starting to realize the reality of death and trying to process what a huge thing that is. And I think Neverland is, I mean, it's called Neverland, right? It's never. So it's like, as long as you're stuck in this childish place, and you, you kept commenting on how all the characters that live there are stuck, like the pirates can never get off the island, the lost boys are lost. They're stuck because they are not acknowledging and accepting the reality of there is no such thing as never. There is an end at some point, and beginning the journey towards that end is what growing up is about. 
Fuck yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't have said it any better. In fact, I was going to say the exact same thing verbatim. <laughs> but I chose not to, to give Damien his moment to shine. Jeremy is in agreement. Um, <laughs> yep. Well, I don't want to continue just being overly verbose, but I just... As I said before, no, I just, I just love, love this movie so much. I love this theme, the idea of growing up. It's like one of the biggest things I think about constantly all the time. One other thing I thought was cool was the dynamic between Peter and Wendy of he can't really be with Wendy. There's this like idea of a relationship between them maybe, but the stuckness of him being there, quote unquote, in childhood is preventing him from having those things that do come with stepping into the more adult phase of your life. So there's, you know, there's negative aspects like the reality of death and there's also positive aspects like getting it on <laughs> or relationships, let's say more, sure. more uh, broadly. I just love how analytical you're going into all of it. I know it's making me really analytical. Okay. One last, it's wonderful. One yes. last theory is that Hook, oh God, and this, this, is, this is a theory I had while <laughs> watching the film, Hook represents the, the opposite end of the spectrum of being stuck in childhood where you get single-mindedly, rigidly obsessed and focused as mm. an adult on like one specific thing, one specific goal, one specific task, right? Right. Let's say it's like making it being successful whatever yeah. it is but he hook is totally fixated on peter and can't move on from it like bro move on it's creepy and he's literally basically marooned his entire crew on this island because it affects other people those exactly, decisions exactly mm. so hook is on the opposite end of the spectrum and he's also stuck yeah. because he's too rigid they're but all stuck yeah george darling who is hook because it's the same voice actor and they're their counterparts in the imaginal and literal world realizes at the end that he remembers his childhood and maybe he doesn't have to be a rigid adult. So, Or he's like, like, oh shit, that's my pirate ship because I'm hooked, bitches. <laughs> I mean, that would be amazing if instead of in that final scene, he's like, that's my wait a fucking second. ship! I'm not a codfish! <laughs> Rips off his clothes and <laughs> leaves his family as behind. And takes up piracy. And then the mom is like, well, he was kind of an asshole, so Nana's oh, better. Speaking of, Mary Darling is a fox. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't choose Stone her to be the fox. I forgot about her because she's only in the beginning and end. <laughs> but, uh, damn. So, wait, would you rather have her or the mermaids? It's got to be the mermaids because of the fish thing, the Cleo thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> is it because they're all together? Would you rather have one mermaid or her? <laughs> you have to choose. You know what? If I'm really, if I like let myself be logical about it, probably Mary Darling. Cause she seems lovely. I think she, she's mature. We could have a, a mature relationship. Those mermaids are giving off hardcore, like reality TV, Love Island vibes. Like they're catty. They're real catty. So I don't think that relationship would last. Yeah, nice try. He wants to fuck a fish. <laughs> Clearly, clearly. Like, not letting you get away with <laughs> not that. Not having thing. it. No, sorry. There's no cats in this film, by the way. I know everyone's a fierce follower of Jeremy's cat watch. And while the mermaids are <laughs> catty, there are no cats in this film, which is... Mm. There's a really cute dog. Yes, the, the <laughs> Nana's really sweet. <laughs> all right, Jeremy. Well, thanks for putting up with all of my insane, weird theorizing. I and do every day. Don't worry. Going... <laughs> 
It's a constant struggle, but somehow I get through. <laughs> Don't get me started. Let us power rank this film. This is tricky. And I think can I, I... Can I really oh, quick, oh. before we get into oh, okay. it, Okay. I want to formally request that you amend this thing you have, which is that you have Dumbo and Alice in Wonderland tied for number no. five. Because think about it. <laughs> when we finally get our big long lists at the end of all this, you're going to have like, what, three or four that are just doubles? <laughs> Like, that can't work. Well, you're going to hate me because part of me wanted to tie Bambi and Peter Pan. I won't, but part of me wanted to. Um, <sighs> I think that Alice in Wonderland is a little more memorable for me. So I... But baby mine. <laughs> like, I'm this more is... touched by Dumbo, though. This is torture for Jeremy. Oh, this is so hard. You know what? Can you you ask me next time? You don't have to figure it out right now. We'll put that on the back burner. But you do have to decide where you're going to rank. I will put it at number two after Bambi. Very well. Okay. Well done, sir. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Jeremy's. It's hard. They're all so good. It is hard. And I'll say I'm having a hard time ranking this one as well because, as we know, we've both had Bambi at number one for a long time since we saw it. I think it's tough because, like, the. It's been like months now since we've seen Bambi, so we're not basing this on first reactions anymore. But I think if I'm remembering my initial reaction to Bambi, I would place Peter Pan at number two. Even though part of me wants to place it like tied with Bambi, but I'm going to place it at number two. I know. I feel like my memory is that I think overall, like as a film, as a piece of film, Bambi is better from a sort of artistic, like literal lens yeah but like i'd rather watch peter pan again right but peter pan is so entertaining and it has such a special place in my heart right which makes it really hard and no answers are wrong here we can't be too hard on ourselves i think can we because the spirit of this endeavor that we are on is about our love for disney and the (laughs) smile that's in our heart which i think is in the lyrics of oh my God, one of the songs get to of the this point. movie. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> what is happening? I'm I'm talking myself into justifying putting uh, okay, well, let me Peter Pan done. above Bambi at number one. <gasps> what? I know. Ooh. This is what I'm saying. Because this is the struggle. But I feel like I'm trying to follow my heart. <laughs> no, I really... and I don't blame you. I really enjoyed the film. And it was a... Probably the most entertained I've been while watching a film with you so far, I think. It was a really fun watch. I think because of how special it is to me, because of how entertaining it is, and because of the genuine emotional reaction and like chills I got at the end, which is another big bonus, yeah. I'm going to put it above Bambi, <gasps> which is crazy. Gay gasp. Ah, we got at least one gay we gasp. We got one, y'all. <laughs> Almost we made We had it. a homosexual gasp. All right. What how are we our... segue? personal takeaways (laughs) there's no segueing jeremy i just go right for it thank you what are our personal takeaways that we're getting from this film my personal takeaway is that i really enjoyed it more than i expected it to um it kind of reinstills the takeaway of being okay with not growing up completely which i love to do i don't think you should ever take yourself too seriously uh here's to never growing up which is a great song by avril lavigne check it out i might be in the music video for it online but that's a whole other story and um humble brag 
Humble brag. Um, <laughs> and I kind of want to see the sequel because we didn't really talk about this, but there's, I think in 2004, there was a film, uh, Return to Neverland, which is on Wendy's daughter Jane being taken to Neverland by Peter. And there's uh, Jonathan Maybe. Brooke, who's a great uh, singer songwriter. Oh my God, shut up. He's <laughs> a great singer songwriter. Uh, does the songs, including I'll Try, which is a great song. Oh, also covered by Jesse McCartney, by the way. Huh. Jesus, Jesse McCartney. Hell yeah. Um, anyway, I want to see that. Maybe I'll watch that this week. Oh. I am not going to join you in watching the creepy spirit who kidnaps children uh, take the daughter of the woman that he had well, he uh, took George at 13. And what, is he just going to keep intergenerationally wooing daughters? Is he wooing? He's like letting them die, basically. Well, my personal takeaway from the film is similar to yours, which is that it confirmed my suspicion that I should never grow up. Yep. Never grow up. Another song by Taylor Swift. There's so many. <laughs> All right. I don't want to be told to grow up. Civil plan. That's a good one. Do you want to be told to wrap up this podcast, Jeremy? Because that's what's about to happen. Well, that's what you're going to make me do. <laughs> but before we do that, we got to talk about what film are we going to cover, cover next? next? I'm so excited to find out because we're going to find out right now in... You know what it is? It's the tradey and the lamp. Sorry, the lady and the tramp. Is it really? Do you yeah. know that for a fact? Yeah, I looked it up beforehand. You're welcome. All right. Well, I guess it's the lady and the tramp. It is, you Aww. guys. I'm excited for this trampy trot through the lane. Oh, we're going to get trampy. We're going to go to the wrong side of the tracks. On yeah, that we one. are. Whoo, baby. In fact, you know, he's a tramp. He's a tramp. But they love him. Anyways, that's going to be exciting. Thanks, everyone. Thanks Sweet for tuning dreams, in. and we hope that you fly away to Neverland. Just remember, it's the second start of the right.